Father, we do ask for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would really cause all of us to be able to understand really who we are in you and what you've called us to do. And Lord, we pray today would be an opportunity for us to really move forward in fulfilling our individual calling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you and I were made by God and we were made for God. You know, until we understand that, life doesn't really make any sense. And people ask the question oftentimes, why am I here? Well, the answer is you are here by God and you are here for God. So the truth is long before each one of us was conceived by our parents, we were conceived in the mind of God. God thought of us first. And we're not here by chance or coincidence or luck. We're, not, we're here breathing this very moment because God wanted to create each one of us. So God wanted to create you. And he wanted to create you for a purpose, for a reason. Think about this. He planned all of our days out. He planned the day when we would be born. He planned the day when we would die. And all those days are written down in a book. Psalm 139, verse 16. Here's a paraphrase of this verse. It says this. You saw me before I was born, and you scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. So God planned our life. In fact, even he even planned where we'd be born so we could live for the purpose in which he made us. He planned what our race would be, what our nationality would be. And God didn't re- really leave much detail to chance. He planned it all for the purpose that he had for each of our lives. Let's look at this verse, Acts 17, verse 26. From one man he made every nation... Listen to this now. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. So God doesn't do anything accidentally. God doesn't ever make mistakes. So he, has a, he had a reason for every person he created. He had a reason and a purpose. So think about this for a moment. Let this just sink in that you were created by God with a purpose in the mind of God. And you have a specific contribution to make. I want you to think about an architect when he, before he designs a building, he asks the question with the people he's meeting with and says, now what is the purpose of this building? What is the function? What do you want to accomplish with this building? So he knows, he knows about your intended purpose before he actually designs the building. Well, God does the same thing. God actually thinks about what he wanted each one of us to be used for on the earth for his purposes. And he had that in mind when he created each one of us the way he created us so we could effectively serve him. So God actually shapes us with the task in mind that he has for us. That's how he made us. You know, right now I've got something uh, behind this podium that no human eye has ever seen and no human hand has ever touched and it's right behind his podium no human hand has ever touched this and no human eye has ever seen what I'm about to pull out from behind his podium can you guess what it is 
It's a banana. <laughs> now you're thinking, well, yeah, but you touched it and you see it. No, but that's not what I'm talking about, the, the real banana part. This part in here has never been seen by a human eye till right now. <laughs> it's never been touched by a human hand till right now. It's never been eaten till right now. Y'all want some? <laughs> but here's the point. The point is that until I unpeeled this banana, it did not fulfill its purpose in my life. The purpose it was created for. And here's the truth about most Christians. God has put spiritual gifts in each and every Christian spiritual gift or gifts in each and every believer in Christ. And most of them have never even unwrapped them to let them accomplish what God has intended for them to accomplish. So part of how God has planned to use each one of us is that when we're born again, he places a spiritual gift or gifts in us. And even after that, in our spiritual life, sometimes he deposits spiritual gifts for his purposes on the earth and what he wants to accomplish. Now, I want to get into that in just a moment. Before I do, I want to back up a little bit, and I want us to define a word. Now, some of you have heard me speak about this before, but I want you to really get this down. The word I want to make sure that we have a definition for that's correct, a correct definition, is a word that's used all the time in churches, and if you ask Christians to define it, they have trouble defining it. But they use it all the time. And the word is the word grace. Very familiar word. We've, we, we, all, we use it many times. But when you ask Christians to define it, they have trouble. The definition they'll normally give you, because that's a definition they even teach in seminaries, and is then trickled down into churches, the typical definition for the word grace is unmerited favor. Now, I was taught that definition, so were most of you. We we're taught something like this. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. We're, we're taught this little typical Western formula for trying to take deep truths and, and, and simplify them. The problem is it doesn't work. That definition doesn't work. Now, it is true that God is good to us, even though we don't deserve it. That is true. But grace means something different than that. And we need to understand what that word means if we're going to understand a lot of what the New Testament teaches. Now, I realize that once we've been, when we've been taught something, traditionally over a long period of time, it's very hard for us to adjust our thinking about a word or a concept. But I want you just to go ahead and work with me a little bit this morning on the definition of the word grace. I want us to test the definition that is taught in most seminaries, which I am going to argue is incorrect, and I want to show it to you in just a moment. And that definition of unmerited favor, let's just stick the word, the definition where the word appears and see if it works. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, if grace is unmerited favor, then how come the humble get it? 
Don't they somehow merit it by their humility? See, the definition doesn't really work there, in all honesty. Let's try it another verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 says, You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now, if grace is unmerited favor, how can you fall from it? If you didn't merit it in the first place, how do you unmerit it? See, the definition just doesn't work there. Let's try another verse. John chapter 1, verse 14. We all know this verse is talking about Jesus, God becoming a man in the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. Now, does it fit to say that Jesus was full of the unmerited favor of God? Does that make sense? I mean, is it fair to say that, that God was good to Jesus even though he didn't deserve it? Of course not. That definition doesn't work. I want to give you a definition I believe does work. And this definition will help us understand a whole lot of the New Testament where that word appears. Grace is God's empowering presence, enabling you to be what he has created you to be and to do what he has called you to do. It's God's empowering presence, enabling you to be what you were created to be and to do what you were called to do. Okay, now let's plug that definition back into those three passages we just looked at. James chapter 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Does it follow that God gives his empowering presence to be and to do to the humble and not to the proud? Well, sure he does. Or Galatians 5, 4, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Is it possible to do something that would cause God to not empower you like perhaps he did before? Are there believers who are not walking in the fullness of God's empowering presence right now? They're not fulfilling their calling right now. Is that possible? Sure it is. Or John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Does it make sense to say that Jesus Christ was full of the empowering presence of God, enabling him to do what the Father called him to do? I mean, he's Emmanuel, God with us, right? In fact, did you know that, and you can check this out yourself, in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is the only one that it is, it is ever said of to have, to have the grace of God on him. <clears throat> no one else is, is, is said to have the grace of God on them in all four Gospels except Jesus. Now, before Jesus was crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, here's what he says in John 16, 7. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about his ascension into heaven after he's the resurrected Christ. Some 40 days of teaching the disciples. And then after 40 days, 
he ascends into heaven and then pours out the Holy Spirit upon the church. Now, when did that happen? That happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. So what happened to the church in Acts chapter 2? The, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. The empowering presence of God came upon the church. Do you know that it wasn't until after that moment that it says the grace of God was on somebody else besides Christ? In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, notice this. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen to this. And abundant grace was upon them all. So God's grace, God's empowering presence to be and to do is now on the church. After Acts chapter 2. Because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's think about this. So how does this work? How does it work? How does the grace, what does the grace of God look like on each one of us? Well, let's look at the, the, the scriptures, other scriptures that will tell us what it looks like. Okay, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as also you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, verse 7, but, but to each one of us, grace, let me say this again, but to each one of us, talking to believers now, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So Jesus ascends in this victorious, it's a victorious picture, triumphant ascension. He ascends, full of the grace of God. He pours forth the grace on the church through the Holy Spirit. He pours forth God's grace on each of his followers. So each of his followers, each one of us who knows Christ, each member of the body of Christ gets grace. And when that grace comes upon us, it, is, it comes on us in the form of a spiritual gift, a spiritual empowerment. That's why the passage goes on to say this, Ephesians 4.11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So each member of the body of Christ is given grace. The grace of God has come upon each one of you who knows Christ. And you are given a spiritual gift or gifts, empowerments, because it's God's empowering presence enabling you to do what he called you to do. It's a spiritual gift. And that grace will look a little different on each one of us. Because God has distributed the gifts according to his will so that we are empowered in different ways for different purposes, but all for the glory of God. Let's look at another passage, 2 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, we, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the field that God has assigned us to. A field that reaches even to you. So the Apostle Paul talks about having a field of ministry. 
that's been assigned to him by God. He has, he has a field of ministry, and he says that field has limits. Let's just read a verse again. 2 Corinthians 10, 13. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the field that God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. So the Apostle Paul again is talking about having a field of ministry that has limits. And this field of ministry has been assigned to him by God. But it's also true that you have a field of ministry that's been assigned to you by God. And it has limits. So again, so we have grace on us. Each one of us has the grace of God on us who knows Christ. We've been given a spiritual gift or gifts. We are, these are empowering empowerments of God. His empowering presence enabling me to do something specifically he's called me to do. So you've been assigned a specific ministry. I want to try to put this in a picture so you can see it. Let's put that next slide up. So this is how much grace you have on your life. Grace to the extent of the measure of the field of ministry you've been given. You've been given grace. You've been empowered by God to do what he called you to do. And you have a field of ministry that has limits. Okay, I want you to keep this in mind. I want us to look at another passage with this in mind now. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. This is what Paul says here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. What was he? He was an apostle to the Gentiles. That was the grace of God on him, his empowering presence, enabling him to be an apostle. That was his gift. That was his empowerment. He's speaking to these Gentile believers. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. <clears throat> And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. His empowering presence is what was doing the ministry. Do you see that? So we do what we're called to do, all of us, by the empowering presence of God in our lives. So we labor in ministry in the field that we've been assigned by God. So his grace on our lives determines our field of ministry. We all have one. His grace on our lives determines our calling, and we all have one. Let's look at another passage. A lot of these passages will make a lot more sense to you now that we have a, working with a definition of the word grace that really works. Look at Romans 12, verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, how about that? Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them, those gifts, accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So again, we see clearly spiritual gifts are seen as different empowerments by God. Or sometimes I like to call our spiritual gifts gracelets. God has called you to do something. He's given you the grace to do it, the empowerment to do it. Now, the truth is, some of us have gifts and abilities that we've never used. We've never unwrapped them. So we're not really accomplished or not accomplishing our purpose. Some of you in this room or online right now 
In all honesty, you have gifts you have prematurely retired. When I mean, you're still living and breathing, but you've retired that gift prematurely. You're no longer willing to use it for some reason. And the truth is you and I are going to be judged by Christ on the basis of what we did with what he gave us. And one of the things he gave each one of us was a spiritual gift or gifts. And we're going to stand and give an account for that one day before Christ. How faithful were we to use our spiritual gifts for the glory of Christ? So it's crucial that we know what they are. We unwrap them, know what they are, and use them for the glory of Christ. Let's look at another passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. I'll tell you what, I don't know of many things the church around the world is more ignorant of than this. And yet Paul says, I, I want to make sure you guys aren't ignorant of this. Because this is how this whole thing's supposed to work. This is crucial to how the church is supposed to work and accomplish its mission in the world. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. You know, I hardly heard a, I hardly got, remember, a lesson on spiritual gifts all through four years of seminary. W.A. Criswell, who pastored for about 40 years, said he never heard a sermon in his life on spiritual gifts. And yet, here it is, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Let's notice something else, Romans 12, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as, so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. All right? We've got to add this into our understanding now. So this passage says that we're not only given a measure of grace to do a certain ministry that God's called us to do in a field of ministry that has limits. But we're also given a measure of faith. All right, let's put this in the diagram. Next slide. I want you to notice how this works, because here's the truth. The truth is we only have faith to do what we have grace to do in our lives. When you begin to function outside the limits of the grace of God on your life, you're not functioning in faith anymore. You're functioning in presumption. See, to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think you have a bigger field than God has given you. And Paul says the answer is to think so as to have sound judgment. What are you able to do with faith? Because you only have faith to do what you have grace to do. And so the question then comes, okay, how can I get more grace? How can I get a bigger field? Well, there is a way. And our example here is, we're going to take the example of Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen, remember the story in Acts chapter 6, the apostles, the ministry's growing, the church is expanding. One of the ministries they had was the, the benevolence ministry of feeding the widows. But somehow the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being overlooked in the benevolence feeding program, and the apostles realized they couldn't stop attending to prayer and minister the word, so they needed some other, other people to take care of that ministry. So you kind of have some of the first organization of the organism. 
So let's pick the story up. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. The apostles are speaking here. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, the task I just referenced. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This, this, this statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to notice that Stephen now takes this ministry on along with some others. His ministry is what at this point? It's making sure these widows are not overlooked. They're taken care of in the feeding, the benevolence program they had at that time. So Stephen has a field of ministry now, we could call it. And he has the grace of God, the power and presence of God to do that ministry, to serve food to these Greek-speaking Hebrew widows and make sure their needs are met. That was his field of ministry. Now, I want you to notice something that happens later in Stephen's life. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So now, what happened here? How does Stephen's field of ministry increase from, wait, from you know, waiting tables so the apostles could do their ministry? How did his field of ministry expand to that to doing the stuff the apostles were doing? James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Stephen isn't thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. He didn't think it was beneath him to serve these widows. He humbly served. He met the needs. And as he's humbly serving, walking in humility, God gives grace to the humble. And what happened is God gave him more grace and more grace. And his field got bigger and bigger. And finally, his field grew to a place that he's doing signs and wonders in ministry. In my first ministry responsibility in a small church as a college student, my first responsibility was setting chairs up. And I got there early every Sunday to make sure the chairs were set up. And then I graduated to bring in donuts. And I tell you, I made sure I had the donuts there. I even found out the ones that they liked the best. And I made sure we always had donuts. It was my, that was where I was, right? That was my ministry field. And at that time, there was, uh, it was, this was, I was at Louisiana Tech University, and there was the, the Division II National Championship college football game was being played in South Louisiana. And the, and the speaker of this chapel service, apparently he had, he had some family emergency, and he called, was calling all the different uh, Campus Crusade leaders uh, throughout Louisiana trying to get someone to come down there and speak in his place. And so our leader at that time said, uh, why don't you go down there and speak? Now, I understand at that point, all I did is set up chairs and bring donuts. <laughs> I had a Bible study with two guys in it. And, only, and they only came every once in a while. <laughs> and now I am asked to go down and speak at the chapel services, the National Division II National uh, Championship College football game. I should have never been asked it, and I should have never said yes, but I said yes. And I drove down there, and I was terrified. I thought I was going to hyperventilate and pass out driving down there. <laughs> and I got down there, and I'm speaking there, and I'm just, I mean, it was, I bombed so bad. All I wanted, I wish, wish there was, if I had a button I could have pushed to disappear, I would have just pushed it many times during that talk. 
It was horrible. It was a disaster. The problem was I was operating beyond my ministry field at that point of my life, and I wasn't operating in faith. Now, the way it's supposed to work is you're supposed to humbly minister in the field God has given you, wherever that is right now, and faithfully serve in humility, and God will give you grace, and your field will expand. Faithful in little, faithful in much. That's the principle of the kingdom. And eventually, our faith will be no-so faith. You know what I mean by that? Or functioning in a faith that we really know, that we really know how to function in. There's not anxiety, you know, you know just in, and I'm not having to psych up, you know, to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, I've got the grace of God on me to do this. One time I was speaking at a conference in another city, and I, I, was, I was actually behind the stage, and I was pacing back and forth, uh, anxious. And, and then this woman asked me, she, she said, are you nervous? I said, of course not. Why do you ask that? I'm perfectly calm. Why do you ask that? She said, because you're in the women's restroom. <laughs> now, actually, that didn't happen, but I was walking into the women's restroom at the time as I was anxiously pacing. So there's been a lot of times in my life where I've attempted to do ministry beyond the grace that was on me. And I wasn't functioning in faith. I was functioning in my own strength. And I was having to, and I was functioning in stress and anxiety. See, Jesus wants us to follow the simple principle, faithful in little, faithful in much. You know, there's so many saints that are waiting, they're just kind of waiting, doing no ministry, waiting on God to catapult them into some grandiose worldwide ministry. And that's typically not how it happens. Faithful in little, faithful in much. Now, how do, you how do you find your boundaries? Some of you are thinking, well, how do I know what my boundaries are? How do I find my limitations of my field of ministry at this time? Let's look back at this diagram, and I want to add something to it. Next slide. See, God is merciful, and he gives us permission to find our boundaries. We step out beyond our boundaries. You know, We step out beyond the grace that's on us. We step out beyond the boundaries of being able to function really in true faith, and we feel it. We know it. We know it by the fact that we're now functioning in a lot of stress and anxiety. We also know it because we're not seeing results. But the mercy of God caught us. We weren't destroyed by it. We survived it. And we realized, and he just showed us our boundaries. So there's some truth in that doing it wrong eventually gets it right. You find out your boundaries. You find out your borders one step at a time. So around here, you, know, you ask the question, well, how do I know if I have the grace to be a Sunday school teacher in Adventureland. How do I know I have the grace of God on me to do that? Well, I would say typically we don't ask you to go from doing nothing to be a teacher. We'd say, why don't you be a helper? Why don't you be assistant to the teacher and serve? And as you do that, as you humbly serve, God expands your field. And one day, you're a teacher. That's typically how kingdom promotions work, so to speak. Or you say, how do I know if I have the grace of God on me to be a small group leader, a life group leader? Well, typically, we don't ask you to go from doing nothing to leading a group of people. We ask you, why don't you be part of a group, and why don't you assist in the group? Why don't you help the leader? And as you do that, as you humbly serve, God gives grace, and one day you find yourself leading. So how do you know if you have the grace to start a ministry? Some of you have dreams of a ministry. I'd love to just do this or this. How do I know I have the grace of God on me to do it? Well, typically, the best way to do it is why don't you find someone who's doing a similar ministry that you have in mind and start to serve with them, humbly serve, and learn and grow 
And one day you find yourself able to lead a ministry. So you start small. You start humbly, meeting needs. That's key. The key to finding, the key to really functioning in your calling is to so humbly serve and love people and meet needs around you. Now, I need to give a word of warning at this point because if pride causes you to work outside of your ministry field far beyond what God has called you to do, remember, God is opposed to the proud. So you can even be function, you, you can even be functioning in ministry, you know, and, and if you're doing it in pride, don't worry about the devil stopping you. God will stop you. God is opposed to the proud. He'll oppose you. See, God will not empower any of us to do what he's not called us to do. So if he's called you to do it, he'll empower you to do it. There was a young man came to me uh, many years ago, and he wanted to plant a church in another city. He had a young family, and, and he asked me, he really came to me primarily for financial support, but he asked me what I thought about it. And I said, I don't know who else is going to say this to you. Uh, I'm going I'm to run the risk in saying this because I really care about you. I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're ready to do this. But it was almost like that kind of saw something rise up in him that he was going to prove to me that he was ready. And so against my recommendations about him waiting a little bit and getting some more experience before he stepped out and did that, he went ahead and did it, and he failed. Uh, he failed dramatically, and it impacted his family detrimentally because he just wasn't time. And so a lot of times, you know, it's helpful for us to have some people in our lives that will speak the truth in our lives and help us kind of find those boundaries as well. There's also another mistake that some make in the area of functioning and the grace of God in their life. And here's the following diagram. Put the next one up there if you would. This looks familiar to you, but I want you to notice the mistake that a lot make, look up here in this one right here, is they start to draw a ministry field that is smaller than the one God has given them. Now, why would they do that? Why would somebody have a ministry field this big and decide they're going to draw a smaller one than that? Well, I think well, there's several reasons why I think someone might do that. One is that I think they just, they got hurt. They got hurt in their ministry, and they thought, well, I'm not doing that again. I mean, you can be functioning in the grace of God on your life in your ministry field and still get hurt. And so some people will pull back, pull back and just say, I'm going to draw a little smaller circle. I'm not going to risk getting hurt again. And a pastor friend of mine got hurt in his church and he just stepped out of ministry altogether and, and, and he just started selling Christian books. And that was, that was all he did. And I remember I went to talk to him. I said, and talked about his hurt, but I thought he just, he took his ministry field because he got hurt and he just drew it closer and closer, tighter and tighter because he didn't want to risk getting hurt again. Or I think some people draw that circle smaller than their ministry field because they've, they've sinned, they've, they've fallen, they've, you know, in some way they've, they've fallen in some temptation and sin, and then the devil starts to heap shame and guilt and condemnation on them, and they think, I'm no longer worthy to do my ministry. What they need to do is repent and be forgiven and, and, and get, eventually work their way back into their ministry field. But instead they just think, they just live under that condemnation for the rest of their lives, you know, and think, I can't do this because I'm disqualified because I failed and failed, fallen into sin. As opposed to saying, you know, confess your sin, be forgiven, get under some strong leaders, and, and get yourself back where you need to be. Or I think some people draw a smaller circle because they're just burned out. They're burned out, and they're no longer really walking 
and the grace that God's given them, and so they, they live with a shrunken field. Here's what I believe what God's doing as we're coming you know, toward our ministry time in this message, is I believe this morning God is calling some people back to their ministry field. He's calling you back to your calling. Some of you who've drawn, who've tightened, who've drawn a circle smaller than your ministry field, for one reason or another, God's calling you back to your ministry by the way, speaking of burnout, one of the things that causes us to burnout is when we're not functioning in the grace of God. We're functioning in our own energy, in our own strength, and it just wears us out. And after a while, we just burn out. But we need to function in the grace that God has on us and to prevent us from burnout and breakdown. So our field, as our field expands, because we're humbly serving, God continues to increase grace on our life. Now, there's something else I, must, I got to need to warn you about that the Apostle Paul understood. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, notice this. He says, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, remember he, was, he wrote 13 books in your New Testament, great revelation came to Paul. He got to see into heaven at one point. And so hey, all this revelation he's talking about. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So there's some probably physical ailment. We don't know what it was, but it was keeping Paul, it was helping keep Paul humble. Verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So he's praying for it to be removed. Here's what God says, verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. My empowering presence is enough for you. That's what he's talking about. My grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So here's the point I want us to understand. As grace increases in our lives, God is increasing your ministry field as that increases, our egos must decrease. And as protection for us, sometimes God will arrange circumstances in our lives to protect us from exalting ourselves so we won't steal his glory. And here's the truth. So that by the time you finally get the ministry you dreamed of having one day, you finally get it, and you don't feel the way you thought you would feel. You feel like you have a stewardship that you need to answer for to God. First Peter 4.10, just so you know, it's not only Apostle Paul talked about this idea of grace, but Apostle Peter too. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace. Of God. So how do you find out what God created you to be and called you to do? I mean, spiritual gift inventories are helpful and people speaking into your life that know you are helpful. But the main way that I've seen it happen in people's lives and in, is, is as you are serving and meeting needs around you. Just noticing needs that need to be met and you humbly serve and meet those needs. What happens is God sovereignly and supernaturally leads you through that process to discover your spiritual gifts and your ministry field. See, that's, that's what I think Stephen is such a good example for us. 
Because Stephen responds to a need and begins to humbly serve, making sure these widows were not overlooked. And then God expands his ministry field to where he's doing the miraculous signs and wonders the apostles were doing. When I was 22 and I was a missionary in Micronesia, the first missionary I met because I was wrestling with what God's plan was for my life at that time. And then I met a missionary there and I said, how did you know God had called you to be a missionary? I wanted some real deep spiritual answer. And he said, well, I was here and a guy had a flat tire and I helped fix his flat. And I've been here ever since. <laughs> now, the first time I heard that, I thought, that's, that's not a good answer. <laughs> but I think that's a great answer now. He just began to meet people's needs, and God just kind of ricocheted him, you know, into his calling. So here's the question I really encourage you to really seek God for an answer. And that is, what has God, God called you to be and to do? And you're never going to find, by the way, you're probably not going to find out his calling if all you do is work and go home and watch TV every night. It's going to take saying, I, I want to look around and try to meet the needs of those around me. And I want to respond by humbly serving them. And as I do, I'm going to really learn how God is using me, and I'm going to begin to discover what the grace of God is on my life and what my ministry field really is. And if we begin to do that, what's going to happen is we're going to begin to function in that gift. We're going to see fruit from that gift, and then we're going to be able to see Christ glorified through using us, and then we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, and we're going to be able to give an account for what we did and what he gave us. So let's stand for prayer because I want us to have a, a ministry time. It's a joy if you make your way on up. And for those of you who have been hurt or burned out or disillusioned, and because of that you've drawn your ministry field smaller to somehow protect yourself or feel like you're just too wounded to go on, or some of you because of shame and guilt and condemnation have drawn your ministry fields too smaller, or some of you have just retired your gifts prematurely, and drawing your ministry field smaller. I think the Lord is calling you back this morning to your ministry field. So for any of those reasons or even reasons that the Lord's given to your given your mind right now, if God, if, if you feel like, you know, I, I had a, there was a ministry I was functioning in, and there's a, you know, there's somewhere God was taking me, and I just be, and something happened that I just I pulled back. I pulled back. I drew my ministry tighter. I think God is calling you back to the ministry He originally called you to. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to come down for prayer in just a moment. And so, Father, you know exactly who that is in this room. Lord, we can't fool you. You know, and even right now you're speaking into their heart, and they know. They know you set this time up, Lord, for this. So, Lord, I pray you just make this a safe place, a place where we're not going to resist what you're doing because of pride. Right now, we'll humble ourselves and receive from you. We'll just be a family right now. Receiving from you as our Father, our good, good Father. So if that's you and you're saying, that's, I've kind of done that, but Lord, I just need you to heal me and touch me and kind of recall me. Go ahead and slip out of your chairs and come down. Slip out of your seats and look your way down. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. God's going to do something significant right now. And he's really set this up to do this. So don't hold back. If that's you, come on down. God is recalling people today. If that's you, come on down.
There was a call, but now he's recalling. Calling you back to it. That's you. Come on down. We need you on the field. We need you back in the game. That's you. Come on down. Everybody of Christ, I mean, many of you to come down, lay hands on these who come, just slip out of your seat and come down, lay hands on your brothers and sisters, and just begin to pray. Go ahead and be, pray out loud, just begin to pray for them. Lord will show you how. Father, we ask you to do that. Would you just pour out your Holy Spirit right now, fresh upon these who have come, who are humbly coming and saying, Lord, I just need a touch from you today. I just need to hear the voice again of this is what I'm calling you to. Lord, speak it right in their hearts right now. We ask you. We ask you to bring healing, Lord, where there needs to be healing, restoration, where there needs to be restoration, forgiveness. Forgiveness, confess your sins. He's quick, quick quick to forgive. He loves to forgive. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. I just want to speak this in the name of Jesus. You are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, you confess it. I speak in Jesus' name. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. He takes away your sins. He takes them away. They're gone. Thank you, Lord. Those who are just burned out, Lord, we just pray right now, would you just give them that, that just vigor again, that passion, that energy, let it come, Lord. Let it come. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We receive that right now. We receive the recall. We receive it, Lord. Fresh calling from you. We receive it. We know there's, we're not doing anything in vain right now. Lord, we receive it from you. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray and thank you for your grace in all of our lives. And we'd all walk in our calling this week. We'd walk in humility. We'd walk serving and meeting needs and Lord and we pray that you would be honored and glorified and we pray we'd see 
just great strength come to your church and through your church and to the community and around the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.